it was like in that moment that I realized that everyone jokingly, my mom's queenie and everyone jokingly uh, acknowledges how much my mom is in charge of everything, every event, coordination from leadership. Um, and she's going to be the first one that gets there and the last one leaves. Um, she does the nitty gritty of everything. And she ran the entire association, amazing leader. And I always had this connection with my mom. All I wanted to do is see my dad laugh and my mom pleased as a little kid. It just brought me a lot of joy to get my dad that was always serious laughing. That's why I memorized uh, quotes from movies. And with my mom, I just... I saw how attentive she was in, I'm going to say it detailed. It was, it was obsessive. I mean, our house looked like a museum. Um, everything had its place and everything was spotless clean. And it was my job to keep it that way. Being the youngest, being my sister was 10 years older. My brother was six years older. My brother was brilliant in the sense that if you asked him to do something, he would do a really poor job at it. And I took pride in everything I did. And so that backfired on me. <laughs> and so I was uh, asked to do everything. And I, I didn't mind it. Uh, there was something in me that enjoyed that tedious work and how great things looked afterwards. And the shift in my mom's energy and mood when I kept everything clean and organized the way that she liked. And there was something in that moment which felt like such a betrayal where I realized any time that I was whipped, where I was angry at my dad or hurt, more hurt by my dad. I don't know if there's much anger there. It was just more hurt and confusion. Um, I realized in that moment it was actually coming from my mom. Mm. And it felt like a betrayal. And it felt like this good cop, bad cop energy. And right before I, I went to military academy, I um, I did, I was hanging out with those older teenagers in the neighborhood. I was just turned 12 uh, that summer where they were just absolutely confused about my grades. And the, the last straw was that I was <clears throat> hanging out with them. Uh, they were all 16. And so that's a solid age difference. And we went to the store to, uh, I don't know, they were getting cigarettes or whatever they were getting. And we saw those <clears throat> uh, crate of like two liters that used to sit outside the gas station. And it just didn't even feel like stealing. It felt like this excitement, like, hey, let's take one of those and put them in the back of the truck. And we started to grab it way too heavy. And we just grabbed two liters. And my buddy's leg hit the back of this car. Alarm goes off. The convenience store clerk, like, looks over. Everyone jumps in the back of the truck. I don't jump in the back of the truck. I just run across this field. And it was like a, a briar patch. And so I'm just cut to shreds. My buddy jumps out of the back of the truck. They catch the other guy. He tells our names. Well, I throw these two liters in someone's uh, driveway and my other buddy finds me and I'm like, man, let's just, the gig's up. Let's just tell them because we can see the cops coming. And I'm like, let's just explain to them, pay for it, whatever. Um, scared to death. Uh, you know, what have we done? But there's still, still this excitable energy. I don't know what that was about me. I didn't see myself as a thief. 
it was more, um, it was more like this release of like pent up, uh, energy of never really being able to do or what I wanted to do or have my own voice. That was something that was really scary uh, with very dominant parents and very strong, powerful people. I didn't feel like I had my own voice. And so, especially my brother and sister, they're just being so much older. So um, to, to clear it up, people, this is, I'm getting to like where the disconnect became with my mom. Uh, because I think the first half was like really a disconnect between my dad. And uh, <laughs> so then we see these cop cars like patrolling the area and they get out like almost like a SWAT team guns drawn. Like I hit my knees terrified. They have a gun to my head. They put, uh, I'm 12. <laughs> they put um, the cuffs on me, yanked me up by the cuffs, cutting my wrist. I'm like, what is going on? Well, why the whole like police department was called because they get this call from the convenience store and then they get a call from a neighbor saying, I think someone put a bomb underneath my car. It was one of the two leaders that had rolled underneath the car and it was like fizzing and they heard this noise and called the cops and said, someone put a bomb underneath my car. And so now they're looking for like, I don't know, I guess a bunch of delinquents putting bombs in their cars. And so they put me in the back of the police squad car and my buddy in the other, the back of the other one. And he, the police officer gets in the front seat. He looks back and he says, look, you know, that kid that's in the other the car, he's a punk. And you keep hanging around punks. Sooner enough, you're going to become a punk too. And he said, I, I think you're a good kid. And I think you're just taking the wrong direction right now. And he said, uh, you got some choices to make. And he turned the police scanner up and they exited the police car. And I hear uh, Dr. Johns is getting out of surgery and he's on his way to pick up his son, which is just terrifying. Um, and so my dad gets there and they do the whole rigmarole. They get me out of the police car, take off the, the cuffs in front of him, like spread my legs, put one hand on the other while they're doing the cuffs. And I walk up to my dad and he said, uh, I wish you weren't my son. And it, it was like this out of body experience. The moment he said that almost like I was 30 something years old floating above both of them and thinking, wow, you're going to regret saying that. And I think I just kind of left myself completely and didn't allow myself to even feel what he said. It was really that samurai culture. Don't bring shame on your family name kind of energy that came out just his utter embarrassment and uh, disbelief and where I what I had done and so I was in a very vulnerable place where I was started to be honest with my dad in that moment by the time we got home and one of the questions he asked me was are you still a virgin? And I had learned at this point just to lie about these things, just like I had been about being sexually abused or to hide these things because I just didn't feel that I had parents that could handle it. And so I said yes. And I think I lost my virginity to a girl 
it was that she was older as well, like a week prior, if I'm not counting being sexually abused by a male. Um, and that night when my mom got home, before I could even say like, dad, like, please don't share that with mom right now. Uh, he said it and my mom looked at me and she said, you're so stupid. She said, you're so stupid. All you were doing was just, you're just doing an act. You're a child and you're just going through the motions and doing an act. Why couldn't you wait until it was someone you cared about or that it meant something? And I felt so horrible already. I felt so low. I had these like secrets about myself that I, I didn't think I could tell anybody or share any with anybody. And I'm like honest for the first time. And it was horrible because she was older. And then later she found out my age and she was calling the suicide hotline and things like that out of her like shame over it. The other teenagers, um, knowing that she had sex with me and, um, I was so lost and confused. And in that moment where I needed my mom, to really be soft and gentle. My mom's rigidness came out. And later on in life, we, we spoke deeply about this, my mom and I, because we, as a kid, I thought we were so connected in that moment. We were so disconnected. And later in life, my mom explained to me that She'd never been around any healthy men before. And her father was was an alcoholic, an abusive alcoholic, and he'd left the whole family, and she'd never had any healthy male or masculine energy she'd ever been around in her life to really see as a father figure. And she thought a lot of the ways that my dad was disciplining us was healthy, and she didn't know, she said, until it was really too late. And a lot of his strategies or tactics where she left a lot of things up to him. And she said a lot of times she was hardened in her approach because she thought that's how you raise boys. And she didn't know. Which I can understand completely now. And I actually feel, I feel that pain uh, that my mom was going through of never having a father. and. I loved my grandfather, my my father's father, yet he did not fully embrace my mother. And I know how, how badly that hurt and was unkind, even though he's a great man. He didn't fully embrace my mom, and that my mom's a piece of me, and so I could feel that always. And so uh, at 12 years old, I already had that deep disconnect between my mom and dad, and when we went to work in a military academy, which was the only place we visited and I didn't come home, then I knew whose final decision it was. And sadly, my dad told me that he didn't want to send me. I mean, this is like in the moment saying like, I don't want to do this. I think we can raise you on our own. I think we can write a lot of these wrongs, if you will. 
It's like, but your mom feels strongly that, that we don't know how to do it. And this place is going to help you become the man that you want to be. And, um, I mean, short answer, they're right. I mean, I love where I am. And I love who I am. So whatever wounds were my parents, especially my mom's, became mine to heal. And ex- especially my mom's wounds with men. And I could feel that come out towards me in moments where it would be hard for us to think genetically or energetically or spiritually that my her father's energy didn't come out in me in different ways and that pain wasn't activating like my mom's deepest wounds and so I believe when I began healing those deep wounds around masking my pain around alcohol or when I was having all my surgeries, it was painkillers. And then after football, it was still painkillers. And then it was recreational drugs. And then it was, we're calling ceremony and psychedelics and medicine ceremonies. It really becomes very clouded very quickly. And I felt that I had healed everything from mom Yet it was after the death of my father that my mother immediately was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And that is a whole nother level of fear and pain. One, considering I'm, I'm about to be orphaned. And I had spent most of my life resenting both my parents, yet loving them, respecting them at the same time, disrespecting them. So it's very confusing when my victim mentality and energy was constantly on the surface and trying to be hid and act like I'm not hurt by them. And, um, you know, I reveled. I reveled in their pain. You know, when I said that I was backpacking all over the world and I was figuring out ways to either coach or work in bars or sweep floors or do whatever I needed to do to, to earn money, to stay in hostels or stay in people's places, wherever I was. And I thought it was cute and funny because I knew my mom was stressed or anxious or afraid for my life or where I was in the world. And I still had a very, disconnected sense of myself and not only who I was, but my worth. Um, I had thrown away my worth a lot of times on the football field to be so violent because that's how I was seen as worthy is being on a big time football team or part of something that I saw bigger than myself. And I did that all to impress my parents or just be seen by them or still show them I'm not that kid you can just send away or you made a mistake sending me away. It's very confusing, so confusing. And so after my dad's death and I cleared everything with him and was in absolute peace with my father, 
And then my mother became sick and now I'm taking my mother to chemotherapy. And my mom is very sharp. And then seeing my mom's sharpness get dull in the middle of those treatments and feel my mom's loneliness and my mom's fear of facing her own mortality while also grieving my father that my mom was married to over 50 years. It was time to heal any and all wounds that could possibly allow me to be disconnected and not fully present with the woman who gave me life that I knew and I know today that loves me more than anything. And I needed to wake up, forgive, stop being a baby, drop the victim, Step up for the way my father did as a man in my mom's life. And if my mom didn't have men or a father to love, care, consider her needs as a child, then I need to reparent myself, heal my shit, step up, and be that man for my mom. And I feel that's how you heal generational wounds because the moment that I felt absolute forgiveness, the moment that I felt all anger, resentments, and stories of betrayal leave my body, then that's the moment that my mom is able to heal her pains and her wounds with her father. And that's the gift that goes in every single direction. So we forget about this linear time thing where like the past, present, the future, it's, it's the eternal now when you're that present and aware of your ability to transition, transmute, and the power of transformation in a moment by forgiving. And then realizing, oh, there's nothing to forgive. And then being. Then when you have no disconnect or no stories that they should have done something, they were supposed to do something else, you needed them to do something else for you to be okay, and you give yourself that safety, love, and you're connected to your own heart, now you have infinite possibilities in that relationship. And now with my mom... Every single time we're around each other, we have infinite possibilities. And right after my dad's death, I did, uh, a dear friend invited me to a ceremony um, using Bufo, and I had never done that medicine before. And when I was returning, uh, all I wanted you know, I, I was so excited to get back to this little side house my mom had by her property and, you know, turn on my Himalayan sea salt lamps. I had eggs sitting there in the fridge uh, from the farmer's market, 
It's going to take a shower and I have my water purifier in there. I have all my holistic stuff. And when I get back, my mom had Cloroxed the whole place. The place was lit up like the Yankee Stadium. And I am just frustrated. And my mom told me, hey, you need to chill out. And I think I mentioned the story a little bit. It's really the energy around it was, oh, okay. It was something came alive to me in that moment that, oh, all my judgments of my mom about my mom's obsessions where she's afraid, where she's ruminating over something in the background, whether it's my father's death or being alone or what is she going to do next? Like whatever the fear is, my mom's walking around with it and that energy needs to be just suddenly expressed and it would be making everything immaculate and clean. Um, and with the story that you're helping or it needs to look like this so you feel okay. If the external looks okay, then you feel okay inside. And I realized in the moment I do the same thing. I just have this story that mine's okay because it's, you know, essential oils instead of Clorox. And it's all, we're just, we have this meaning generator in our head, just making stuff up. And that's half the time the audience right now listening, half of, I'm, I'm saying this with love, half of you are going to listen to my story and say like, yeah, but you know, you don't know what they did. You're right. I don't. I don't. And the other half are going to have maybe a, another story that, yeah, I forgive them. You still hold on to these resentments and these stories, but what they should have done, it's not true forgiveness. And there's like that 1% that says, all right, I'm going to let go to the unknowns. I don't know how else it could have gone because how else would I be here? And if it would have gone that way, maybe it would have been even worse. This is where I am. And that's the gift that you can give yourself is actually accepting and stop suffering. That's what a story is. It's just this made up thing, that meaning generator that says, if it went this way, then everything would be okay. And if we actually forgive it all and drop the story, then you can be present with the person. And now you can move forwards with infinite possibility. And when you see me with my mom and any of y'all hear about my mom, it's because I am fully present with my mom every single moment that I am with my mom. And if I can do that with my mom, I can do that with my partner. If I can do that with my partner, I can do that with every human being that comes across. And I just knew I finally had this eagle's eye perspective. If I don't do it with the people that matter the most and I have the biggest woes and stories that they wronged me or that I didn't belong or that I wasn't enough and I saw them as the source of my pain, if I don't heal that, then like how we do one thing is how we do everything. It's just going to bleed out to everybody else. Go to the source. Go to the source. Otherwise, you're just putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole. Go to the source of your deepest pain. Let go to the infinite possibility what faith can do because you don't know what's going to happen if you do that because you've never done it. And once I did it, I can tell you that there's no going back because you know how freeing it is to let all that crap go. You're just dragging around 
this bucket full of anger. And it's like you're just constantly drinking poison and wanting someone else to die. And it just doesn't make sense, but it's programmed. And I promise you, you can recondition and reparent yourself to let it all go and be with the people that actually want to love you deeply, even if your younger self didn't bring out the best of them. Well, now you have the opportunity for the best of you to come out. Maybe that's going to ignite something in them. Stop waiting for something on the external to change for you to be okay with you. Change it within you, and I promise everyone around you will catch fire. Did I answer that question? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yes. Okay. So um, a couple of things. Uh, I was arrested when I was 12, too. I think he, I told you that. Oh, what was your it circumstance? Was on, well, oh, it was on 6th Street here oh, in Austin. <laughs> it wasn't that naughty. I was playing the xylophone when it happened. Um, <laughs> As one does. <laughs> um, Hold on, dumb that down. What there, happened on the sixth street with the oh, xylophone? Maybe it's a long story, but that, oh. that, uh, that's another thing we have in common. Um, and I love that you talked about um, the way that you are with your mom breaking generational curses, because I think a lot of us think about we break generational curses by those like through our children we don't think about it through our relationship to our parents uh so at least i didn't so it's a really beautiful um insight from you and another thing that i loved was like your compassion towards your mom and her background because uh i know one of the reasons why I deeply desired to heal my relationship to the masculine is because I could see how it was shaping um, the things I tried to suppress in soul. Uh, Because the things that I feared in the masculine, I was like afraid for to ever see any of that in him. Um, And so I like that. Do you mind if we just for a second delve into that? (laughs) Sure. I imagine I'm just going to assume one of the things was his anger. Mm hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. little rage is rolling up in him. And there was one day when y'all went on a bike ride and I was cleaning up the garage. <clears throat> and he came in and he was just tears raged. Who knows what had built up to that point. And I requested of him, I was like, no, you sit across from me and you know, express your rage. Like look at me in the eyes and cry and get it out. And it's terrifying to see a, a little boy i wouldn't say a young man a little boy full of rage and i was actually envious of him in that moment because i never felt free to express that level of rage and he felt free enough to be able to express it he still felt like he needed to hide it or process it by himself and go to his room and i was like no no this is an opportunity and just doing a little self-corrects like hey do you notice how you're looking at me like you want to knock my head off you know i love you stay in the anger stay with it look at me look you know we have eye contact can you shift that rage like that no one is the source of your problems and express it and you see this shift in his eyes and we did that about three or four times until eventually he's sitting in my lap and we're like he's crying and we're 
kind of laughing and giving a kiss on the forehead. I can imagine as a mother and as a woman that was once a little girl that was tormented by, we're saying the masculine, we're talking about men that are dominant in what they say, mainly given in the form of a lie, which a lie is a fear of a consequence. So no one's ever truly being transparent or honest with you or have hidden agendas. And then if they don't like get what they want and you don't respond the way they want to a lie or a hidden agenda, then they're going to interact with violence. And you, you saw usually, I feel that women see that rage um, if it's ever been expressed towards you. And I imagine if you see it in your little boy, that is something you want to suppress or somehow heal instead of him being able to dance with it, mm-hmm. dance with it. And I, I used that energy on the football field. I used it in competition and I cannot say it was the healthy expression of that energy because eventually it began to break my body down. And so I don't know if I'm much as I study child development or know at least the, the basics of psychology I don't know if I'm messing with the little guy's head by having him like sit there and look at me and us like cry together or open up together or breathe together while he's releasing it. I know it scared me because I saw a part of me that was never allowed or had the freedom to be expressed in that way or shared with a healthy man uh, in that moment. It's calm, collected and reminding them to, okay, it's safe to do that together. Um, at the same time, um, that's what came alive for me when you were talking about, um, maybe not or, or being afraid of him in those moments, mm-hmm. not really exactly in your words. Yeah, it can be terrifying. Um, and <clears throat> I mean, as a, as a mother, there's, there's only so much I can do as well. I think it's like, uh, the role of the healthy masculine in the home is, I mean, people constantly say like the shift they see in Jaya, you hear it too. Um, So I'm so thankful for you and the uh, teaching moments that you take as opportunities. Um, I learned so much from you. And uh, I had to heal a lot of my wounds with the masculine in, in order to call you in. And at the same time, having you in my life has healed. Uh, I mean, well, we can get into it more on the, the part where we talk about our story, but has healed more than I think all of that work combined. You just made a great point that I want to <clears throat> express. I don't know if I've done out loud on a podcast before. Not until I healed the relationship with my mother was I truly able to value women. I'm going to say that again. And if it comes out the same way, it does not until I healed the wounds that I had that caused a disconnect between my mother and I, where I felt safe. I felt loved. I could, I was willing to forgive that would immediately reconnected 
our strong bond that I had since I was a child, not until I consciously, that means in the moment, having absolute presence with the possibility of what that would do and letting go to the unknowns, having faith in forgiving, to drop a forgiveness until eventually it was, there's nothing between us. There's no way I'm going to allow anything to become between my relationship with my mother without that would allow any type of reaction. Even last time when I was taking care of my mom, love you, mom. Mom's standing over me and like, she wants me to double tape and double bag uh, the garbage. And I have my thing with recycling and using as less plastic as possible. So all my stuff's be like being kind of like activated. I'm letting go in the moment as I'm double bagging this trash bag. And my mom had fractured her shoulder. So she's not able to do any of this. And she's standing over me at the thing of tape because she wants me to like double tie it and tape it. Um, all the beauties that comes with obsessions. And um, I began to, I, I felt myself slightly react and then I began to breathe and just feel my energy and the disconnect that was immediately causing between my mom and I, all because I had a story that my way was right and that my mom's was wrong. And once I dropped the wrong and right, and I was able just to be with, my mom's afraid right now. My mom is unable to do this for herself. And I'm here to love my mom whatever my mom wants, whatever allows my mom to feel safe. I mean, the reason why my mom's obsessing about the garbage bag being double bagged and taped is because my mom does not feel safe right now. My mom feels a lack of love because my mom has no family around right now. And it is my job, it's my duty to stop reacting. And so the, the moment that I began to heal that relationship with my mom, the moment I began saying no to relationships where I felt used, where I felt taken advantage of, where I felt um, that I was, my time was seen as trivial where I felt unsupported. I mean, karma's a bitch. At the same time, what a gift to be treated the way that you treated people when you were younger to recognize, oh, I thought I knew how I treated people. I thought I knew when I wrote those I'm sorry letters to people and made my amends. I thought I knew what that felt like. No, I know what it feels like now. That feels like garbage. Because I treated myself like garbage and how you do one thing is how you do everything. So I was treating other people like garbage. Oh, integrity. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have some more cords to cut with people that I had toxic relationships. That word gets thrown around, but I mean toxic. I mean someone that just has no relationship with their own values and their own needs to bring safety, love to themselves. Therefore, they're disconnected from the head, the heart. So how are they going to connect with their partner? Oh, connect, connect 
my head to my heart. Be a loving man. Be a loving man to my mother. Oh, oh that transcends and translates to all relationships with women. Oh, then that translates to relationships with every human being. You heal the relationship with your mother. I'm going to say this boldly. Women. If a man still has issues with his mother, I don't care what issues they are. I have worked with, I'm going to give an extreme example, y'all. I've worked in the field of psychology for close to 20 years now. And I, I started out in mediation and some adoption. And there was a little boy that was adopted and he tried to go down on his adoption mother and she stopped in shock and awe. And the little boy said, I'm, my mother told me I'm the best at that. And this mother would get groups of women around uh, and be on all types of substances and have this little boy go down on all of them. There's pain like that all over this world. There's disconnect. There's confusion. There's resentments. There's anger. There's betrayal. If that little boy that's not a man is waiting for his mother to change for him to be okay with himself, it's likely never going to happen when we all agree. I use this extreme example because I've seen, I've witnessed those relationships turn around completely when a person forgives themselves for all the anger, for all the rage, for all the lost time with themselves, because that's all they knew. I mean, that's the thing about mistakes and regrets. They're all stories that, like, we should have known better. That's just bullshit. You're where you are because that's the only decisions that you knew to make at the time to be where you are. So accept that. Be with it. Whatever happened, happened. It likely was too much, too fast, too soon in your development for it to happen. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way it rolled out. And if you don't go with it, and reparent yourself and no longer require someone else to change for you to be okay. How are you ever going to call in that partnership that you know you deserve? I had a mentor one time, this is going to sound harsh. He looked at me, he was getting his point across and he said, Judd, you know, he's talking about wanting to get, have, have someone better to be in a better relationship because better doesn't want you, Judd. Better is off getting better. <sighs> okay. Ow. Yeah. The person that I'm wanting, <clears throat> the person I'm calling in, isn't in the relationship that's toxic, 
that treats them as sluts than that's using them. They're willing to say no because your yes has no value until you say no. And your no truly means something. And most of us go from relationship to relationship just running away from what the other person is not. And maybe we can find someone that's not like the other person instead of actually knowing who you are, standing in your own values and saying, no, I know how to treat myself. Therefore, I'm going to treat other people like I treat myself. And that's the problem with integrity because most of us are treating ourselves like garbage. So we're calling in garbage. And the way to clean up and take the trash out, forgive. forgive. Your deepest wounds, heal those. And I'm telling you, I'm going to say it again. We'll just we'll stick on the mom theme. Anybody that does not have a healed relationship with their mother, baby, I'm looking right across from you. You healed your, your relationship with your mother. Hey, mama, we love you. We know your mother's a teenage mother. There was a lot of pain there. There was a lot of deep wounding. And you did everything in your power to heal that relationship. It goes both ways. Men and women, heal your relationship with your mama. If you don't, it will show up in every dynamic in your life. Did I answer that question? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um. <clears throat> Mm. Yeah, I know that you've done that work. The way that you talk about your relationship with your mother, I feel um, in our dynamic as well. I feel truly valued by you. And uh, I have not experienced that from a man. I had not, I have not been with a man before you that um, had healed that relationship with his mother. And it does make all the difference. So really celebrating you and uh, <clears throat> thank you baby and I, I feel it's worth noting that the last few prior relationships every single one of those women had s- very serious disdaining pain between their their mother and them still and i remember thinking how does this show up between their daughters one day and i'm not talking down to any of these individuals it was so informative and it was true lesson to witness how that came out and the relationship with myself and them. And it, every single one of those dynamics that I witnessed allowed me and called me to a higher level of stepping up with my own mother. When I could hear what happened, I could hear and see not from obviously in their shoes, because I'm going to remind everybody Excuse me. I want to remind everybody that like our nervous systems are specific to us is our 
fingerprint. I know that I said that earlier and everybody processes each dynamic differently. And I have no pointing the finger at other people that have not healed the relationship with their own mothers. All I know is I was able to see firsthand how they weren't able to completely heal and how that that lack of healing came out in our own relationship. And it showed up as well, like, because I realized, oh, the way I'm reacting to them is because I still have parts with the relationship with my mom that's not healed. Oh, okay, that's what needs to happen. And every one of those relationships that I'm talking about that I said no to, or they said no to me, gift. Take that as a gift right now. If someone says no to you, respect their no. I know you're grieving a lot of people out there. Maybe a relationship just ended. Respect that no and see it as an opportunity that uh, better's out there waiting for you because better's respecting that no as well. Because when you see them, you're going to know what a yes looks like, given who I'm sitting across. Mm-hmm. My yes woman. Yes, baby. That's right, baby. <laughs> So aside from being a wonderful son, I've also seen you be a wonderful friend. The honesty, transparency, and integrity that I see in your relationship with your best friend is just one of the ways that I knew you were a safe man. I haven't seen many men relate the way that you and your best friend do to each other and the way that you relate in your dynamic. I also know that you've had friendships fall away as well that were not fully aligned. So can you talk about the importance of that specific brotherhood in your life and when the shift happened for you where this part of your life up leveled? Okay. Uh, my, whew, I, I sent this text to someone yesterday because my, my dear friend, my dear friend Opie just passed this past week. And he's a father to his amazing kids, his amazing father, amazing husband. And there's a deep sense of loss going on in Boulder right now, especially. And I sent this message that uh, when I went to my grandfather's funeral, to my father's side, and he died at 95, and his brother Earthman got up to speak, and brother Earthman, I think it was 97, uh, and they had been friends since they were maybe grade school. And he said, uh, you know, I was part of Oscar John's top three and Oscar John's would always talk about if you have top three people you can count on your entire life, any moment in your life, then you're a blessed man. Mm-hmm. And there's something in me shifted because I thought you needed like this whole room full of people or I had so many half acquaintances or people half in. And that really spoke to me. And and I'll be vague about all my friendships because I don't have many that uh, LeVar gave me. That's my daughter, brother. LeVar gave me, uh, you know, serving up and knock a home run. Anytime I'm talking in detail about he and I's life experience. <clears throat> I have a lot of friends that want to rename it, remain anonymous. Uh, this dear friend that we're talking about. He ran track at Colorado uh, my freshman year when I played football, and he was going through a breakup. Um, 
like his high school sweetheart. They try to make it work when you go off to college. You know, that old chestnut usually doesn't work. And um, because you're a kid. And oh, man, he was in so much pain. And I remember asking him about it. And he was from Texas. And he just had this kind of armor on. And I didn't have that armor on with my dearest friends. And that all came from LeVar and I being inseparable. And we were always so open with each other about everything. We knew if I could just always see if you weren't open and you kept it all in um, and you didn't share with someone close to you, you're probably going to go crazy. And I mentioned earlier about the uh, dear friends that had taken their lives. And I always thought that was a common theme. They always kind of had a, smile on their face yet they weren't saying much and uh LeVarne always had that agreement that was not going to be us that we were transparent and always had each other's back and we could say anything yeah absolutely anything and so I made that deal with this friend in college I was like yo yo my friends like we're completely open with each other if that's what we're going to start we're going to be boys that's that's who we are. And he had never experienced anything like that. And we took off in our friendship. And then he he uh, transferred our sophomore year. It was heartbreaking. He transferred our sophomore year to UT uh, to run track. He was a triple jumper. He's on their Big 12 team. They had a much better track team. Sorry, Colorado. This, this did. Uh, probably still do. Um, and, uh, you know, in a relationship, it's probably almost... 25 years old now we've had those rocky parts in our relationship and we both innately knew that we were both worth working through all of it all of our differences he was raised on welfare and extremely poor high anxiety um didn't have much of anything and created all the opportunities in his life. And so we had this, and I was raised with an amazing amount of opportunity, regardless of how gritty my, my upbringing was. I had parents that could pay to send me to a military academy for six years. I had parents that if I didn't immediately get the scholarship, they could help me out my freshman year in college until I earned my way. Um, I had those opportunities. He did not. And so later in life, just those mentalities are going to start to clash and those old stories and resentments started to show themselves. And even when I was in grad school, I remember I was working a few jobs. I was working in the uh, private school coaching and teaching. And then I was going across town for my clinical hours on the east side. Um, the most I think I made was like $10 an hour for a session. And uh, then I even pedicabbed at night, at night on downtown on 6th Street. Um, and then I like had these supplements that I was selling. I had all these different areas that I was doing things while I was in grad school to make it all work. And uh, there was a lack of like acknowledgement there and friendships. And it was like this brotherhood where it's like, man, I need you to see me. I need you to see how hard I'm working. And uh, he had these old stories of, um, yeah, but if you've been born with the opportunity, everything's easy for you. And it's like, 
maybe that's the story, but do we not support each other, respect each other, give each other like some data boys? I mean, you, you have to have friends that like believe in you. You need friends that don't have some story that you have to like, carry some piss bucket around of like, I'm sorry if something goes wrong or hang your head and like prove yourself to them all the time. They need to believe in you and be your biggest fan. And it's got to go both ways. And it's got to be a win-win on each side with every decision you make together. And it's got to be absolute support, just like a marriage or an intimate dynamic. Those best friends must and have to be that way or why do you have them in your life why why do you have to prove yourself to your dearest friends they got to know who you are and we went through those moments where it felt like he had to prove himself to me or i had to prove myself to him and that's crap and we both figured that out and there's there's no bigger uh cheer section uh, in my life and in his life than each other we are we there's never a day that we go without FaceTiming or texting. I love you. There's never a moment that goes by where we don't check in and say like, how's your day going? What do you need to talk through? Um, what do you need to work through? What, what do you have on the horizon that you uh, want me to pray for? Uh, there's never a day that goes by because we know how, that love and support feels and how it's insatiable once you have it and how it feels so good to give and receive it. I remember even driving out to my mom once she uh, fractured her shoulder and I was making the drive in one day. I felt so low. I was like, man, I feel like I'm failing as a son that I'm not just something that I'm not, I'm not enough. And he just, he's like, bro, like, He said, I love you. You love everyone around you. You're willing. And you do care for everyone around you. And you're being hard on yourself. Because something in you tells you you need to achieve something right now to be enough. And that's just bullshit. He's like, man. There's nothing else you need to do. Your mom knows that you love her with every bit of your being and you're driving in one day to see her. And I know you're going to stay out there as long as you need to until she is 100%. We need those relationships for people to tell us to go easy on ourselves. And uh, I am giddy with excitement the moments that he is struggling and willing to pick up the phone and call me and so I can say the same thing to him and remind him of how loved he is by his wife and how I hear whatever struggles he's going through just being daily stuff between relationships that he is oh, called in this amazing beautiful partner that, that he has manifested since we were teenagers, those relationships, that's the relationship that I'm blessed with. And it didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. It's been decades of work on ourselves, makeup, breakups, 
anger, frustration, resentment, stories, all this stuff. And we forgave completely. There is not a single thing that he's ever done or said that I can even remember right now uh, that ever upset me because why would I remember that now? Of course there is, but I sit there and meditate on it. <laughs> but like once, once you clear it all, once you're present with the dear friend and you both have a very clear definition of your values and how you want to be treated and how you treat each other, look for your top three, refine your top three. My grandfather was right and his friends are right. And he had relationships that were oh, almost 70, almost 80 years old. Oh, answer that question. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, yeah, I've been really thankful for that friendship in your life. And I can, I can just feel the integrity of it. You know, like you can feel um, when you're with someone and you can feel that a relationship is uh, almost dangerous for your romantic relationship. Uh, and, and I can really feel how edifying that relationship is not only for you, but also for us. So I'm really thankful. I'm going to say something I want everybody to hear. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Pause on that. You have a friend that's a dirt bag. Now, what requires that to assess that if your friend's a dirt ball or, I mean, if you heard half of the like conversations with my dear friends, their integrity because, uh, you know, Jade has given me that like as my intimate partner, we're in a committed monogamous partnership. I get the, the absolute green flag to be a, <clears throat> my crass, playful, charismatic, um, highly sexualized self with her and her alone. And uh, with my dear friends, we have that same humor. That's with all my guy friends. And um, my dear friend is that way with his wife. And now we have the, we have this joke every time that, um, every time we call or pick up the phone, if like, uh, Jade's around or his wife's around. We'll say like ears in the cornfield, but you just never know what's going to come out of either of our mouths. It might be this like filthy joke that we saw some comedian when we were like, you know, 20 something years old that who knows what that means. Uh, we're the same people. We just like, we're not like, Oh my goodness. Like we're so gentlemen. Um, so we're the same people yet. It's very difficult for me to be friends these days with someone that uses people, especially for sex. Um, that is going to sound like a judgment, but like usually my, my deepest understanding of a judgment is that we have a deep desire to be connected with someone yet. If they didn't do that thing, wear that shirt, uh, say whatever they said, then we would be connected to them. And I think my acceptance is that's where they are in life allows me to see like, Oh, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so if I, I did in the past, you mentioned me have relationships that fall off. And I had a friend that I feel was using women. And I feel that I am 
not above it in my younger years. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I didn't realize how cold I was being. I didn't realize how casual I was being about intimacy. I didn't realize that I thought maybe another notch on my belt would have me feel like I'm enough as a man. She's just little boy energy, hurt, victimized boy energy that's basically turning to a villain. And it's, uh, it's ugly, it's unhealthy, it's unhealed. And unless you're my patient, there's really no room for it as a friend in my life. Uh, my, um, my dearest friends, my brothers are faithful to their partners. And we never lie to each other. That's our agreement. And I know my future is bright because they're so, they're the stars that help. They're my North Star. They're a reflection of me and I'm a reflection of them. So when I look at my dear friends and I can trust, hey, I got in this argument with Jade and I, I can trust there's going to be they're going to play devil's advocate and they're not going to side either way. And they're going to listen. I'm going to be heard. And they're going to ask like, are you ready to hear my feedback? Are you ready for an integrity conversation? Are you ready to step it up? Or do you just want to bitch, man? I'm here for all of it. Okay. Well, let me know. Okay. I hear you. I feel you. You're frustrated. Let's just hang out and get that out of the way. Okay. Now, are you ready to like hear it? Do you hear how you're falling short? Do you hear how like, you need to step up. You hear how you're lacking love. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. All right. Beautiful, baby. Beautiful. <laughs> really thankful for you. Um, so something that we were both aligned on when we came together, which was desiring to do the work sober. Can you share how that part of your journey unfolded? so thankful (laughs) it does what a beauty i uh, i mean uh, i think when i i've been in those dynamics maybe for a second like in my latter maybe maybe my early 30s but they were just boring um because obviously they weren't me no one existed before you (laughs) (laughs) we're not you exactly um, I stopped drinking everyone when I was 28. There's a whole story around that. Uh, just, it's so loaded. Um, so when I say sober, I'm not even talking about like alcohol free that, cause I know that like, that was a whole different period in your life in your twenties, yeah. but like we both went through a period of, um, I mean, the last time I was single, uh, prior to the time before you, uh, I did medicine every single month yeah. to prepare for my next relationship because I didn't want to repeat patterns. And then, um, you know, at least every season during that next relationship, I took medicine 
And I know for you, you not only were doing ceremonies as well, but you were using things like Feel Free and Hoppe and... I wouldn't want to throw out their name, but okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Um, uh, I'm not saying, I'm not condemning any of those things yeah. though. Like I, I still have like deep reverence for mm-hmm. ayahuasca and Hachumai. Like I truly, truly love them as plant medicines. Um, and I knew that my time in ceremonies was at least at least coming to a standstill for now. I don't know in the future if maybe we'll be called here and there. I don't, I don't know, you know, like it's. um, No, I love where this is going. We'll stay here in the here and now. I remember. But it's the reason why I bring this up is because it's, um, it's so different doing the work sober and like while being with someone who's also sober and whether it's like, you know, you're not numbing out, you're, you're really feeling everything. Um, but also like the level of growth that we're able to experience with each other through that, like being on that aligned path has been really beautiful. Yeah. We are both very, we're highly sensitive to our surroundings. We're we're highly sensitive to anything we ingest or take in, whether it's being around other beings or food. I mean, I don't have dark chocolate past a certain time. <laughs> you know, I don't think you drink your matcha, right? Like past two. Past noon. Yeah. Past noon. Okay. And so, um, I mean, the world of ceremony, sacred drugs, you know, to make anything sacred, we need to sacrifice something. And I felt like I was doing a decent job at that initially. It was at least that was my intent. And when you get in a world of this ceremony, ceremonies every single weekend, uh, in a high influential environment where it does seem glamorous. It's like, oh, I'm going to be doing ceremony with that person. And, you know, they have hundreds of thousands of followers and um, they must know what they're doing. And they speak so eloquently and intellectually on their podcast or whatever it is, you know, way all these unmet needs that are being played out to even what our incentive is to going in to trying any substance. And everybody has their interpretation of how that experience is laid out and meant to go. And you start hearing this little language like, oh, it's a therapeutic dose. What therapist is prescribing and rationing out and getting the amounts of MDMA to be mixed with psilocybin and I'm about 50 pounds heavier than this person beside me. And we're taking the same amount. Like it's, it's so, it's all made up. And, uh, most people aren't following the hearts that are doing it. Most people don't have a clue of what integration looks like. I mean, I remember after my dad's death and the world I went into and I started counting off 
over 10 substances that I had medicines that I had used. And obviously I'm here now and I lived through it. I survived. (laughs) Yet I had someone that was sitting across from me that just kind of like put a hand. It was so, it was so powerful. You can see my hands, like put a hand finger in between. He goes, man, you need a lot more space between each one of those fingers. And he just did it slowly. And it hit me. And it was like, yeah, I've basically been chasing a high of like spiritual enlightenment, which is just, can I give these aha moments, aha moments? Who am I without these aha moments? I can't be, I can't touch God. That's where God is. That's where God lives. Unless I'm on these substances and open those doors. And, you know, touch like, Tai Chi gave me all that already. I was just unwilling to let go to the idea that I had to find it outside of me and realize it was always been right here, right, right within me. Uh, my creativity, my personality, my kindness, my playfulness, my dance. my ability to connect with others. If you're thinking you need substances to connect with other beings, I'm going to tell you right then that's going to fall short. That's going to create a dependence. I mean, when I work with teenagers, I I usually ask every one of them when I'm asking something about intimacy, Hey, uh, that first kiss you had, if you're twenties, thirties, forties, us, the same thing. If you're first kissed with somebody, were you sober? Almost a hundred percent. I get no. There's a glass of wine. There was being high on something. You share something to cut out all the fears, false evidence appearing real of what, what what are we afraid of feeling being exposed to the tingliness of unknowns of maybe leaning into someone else's face, touching their tongue to yours? It's a bizarre concept when you think about it. Especially on a first date, second date, third date, whatever it is. Or like, you know, you live in a big city, you got that three date rule. Like most people think sex going down by the third date. Goodness, what a transactional experience that most of us numb ourselves towards. And that's usually how people start off what they call love. And then that's a part of your dynamic. It's got to be a little bit numb. So without beating it up too badly because oh man this is even everything I've said is going to rub most people wrong that been in the ceremony or still go to ceremony because I know we both know people do it every single weekend and I think those are some dates that I went on it's like yeah I went on this <laughs> did ayahuasca and I led a ceremony last weekend and you're just exhausted and depleted and you just see it and it's like yeah I'm leading one this weekend and then you know two more and just like what? 
<laughs> is this how like natives did it every single weekend like this? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I know. Um, by the time you and I met, I had not partaken in any medicine usage for about half a year. Um, and it, it was definitely a calling. Like it wasn't, it wasn't on accident. Like I had opportunities or invitations and it, there was this feeling of like my whole body just was saying no. Um, and I was still figuring out what that was. And I, there was definitely a fear of like, am I going to lose my access to like that, those deep downloads that I feel like, like, am I going to lose that is the veil between the unconscious and the conscious going to become thicker? You know, if I'm not always using medicine, I don't know. There was these little fears that would come up, but my body would still say no. And then when you and I started, um, when you and I met and we had like, I think maybe our first like real, I don't know. I don't know how many hiccups we had right up, right up, uh, in the first few weeks. But like when we had our first real, like a handful, but when we had this, our first real, like, oh, are we going to make it? Like, I instantly wanted to go do a ceremony because it was like, oh, I, and I talked about this in the Ronnie Landis episode, but it was like, all of a sudden this feeling of like, oh, I, I thought once I was in a healthy relationship and a securely, a secure functioning relationship that like, I would be securely attached. And I was having all this anxious attachment come up. And so my desire was to go my like my first you know thought was to go take medicine so that like mother ayahuasca could help teach me to be more securely attached or to help me heal my anxious attachment or um you know I had some issues around my voice um in our relationship and and um I thought I really thought I had healed so much around my throat chakra and so there was this like oh well maybe I need to go take medicine and, and clear up what's here and still though, like even with those, um, those desires coming up, my body was still saying no. And it occurred to me that like, you know, I'd always seen medicine and ceremonies as like, you have this, um, you're feeling lost in an area. And like, you, if, if you go take medicine, it's like you get up on this tower and you kind of see the way. And then when the medicine wears off you're like you're not at the tower anymore but you at least know the way that's how I felt you that's, climb down off the mountain you have the script that's how I that's that's what that's what it always felt like for yeah, me your top and then, 10 rules right here's how I go yeah and then um in this situation I was figuring out how to do it sober and and it kind of scared me that I felt like I didn't know how to, um, and, you know, really lean on my meditation and my breath work and my dispenser practices. But what it really came down to was, um, being able to access that, being able to access the medicine, like within myself and, uh, feel that like I myself am the medicine, like our love itself is the medicine. And, um, that's been really empowering and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that I even have that ability had I just run to another ceremony. Um, you say something? Yeah. I, um, what that just, what came alive for me is that, that 
I mentioned to you a few times, I was like, this sudden desire where I felt like I wanted to get high or I wanted to just take this kratom or whatever it was, uh, maybe the first few months we were together, probably journaled about it, but I, I began leaning into those moments and realizing like, oh, that is the gift. That is the moment where I realized that if I had that desire, that means I don't feel safe or loved right now, or I'm not giving that to myself. And so I'm wanting to do this thing that the negative consequence would be that I'm not actually feeling that desire for love, connection to my own needs of getting that love to myself. And I don't feel safe, maybe in my own body, and I'm not willing to slow down and breathe, meditate, walk barefoot outside, hug myself, whatever I need to do to show myself love, probably been hard on myself. Oh, that's the, that's the little red flag that's going up to saying, Hey, cool. This is an opportunity to give that to yourself where before you numbed it. And yeah, maybe you're not going out in the bars boozing. Maybe you think that you were going a little deeper in your meditation by taking in some THC or maybe uh, you'd had a hard workout that day. You're going to take in some Kratom or maybe you're just sitting out by Barton Springs. You're going to try some hop aids like tobacco. But all that was doing was like <clears throat> thinking like I needed to do that because there was something way, way deeper that was needed to be unearthed that I wasn't present with, that I didn't feel safe in my own body. I wasn't giving myself love. You can't give something to someone else that you don't give yourself. So how could I allow you to be safe? How could I allow you to feel love if I'm not giving that to myself? So every single one of those moments where I felt like, oh, I just want to kind of it'd be nice to take this or it'd be nice to relax and take this. I'm like, what is nature giving me aside from those substances where I can't just walk out in the sun and sit there and breathe and feel the sun on my face, sit my butt on the ground? Go jump in the springs and feel the chill of the water. Drink water. Go for a run with my dear friend. Like there's so many things in how I eat, how I move, how I rest through meditation, and how I play through dance that I realized it brings so much safety to my nervous system and allow me to feel reparent myself and feel so loved at all times. So I can give that to others where I was lacking in all of those areas of reparenting myself and giving that to myself because I had a story is no big deal. It's not alcohol. It's not, okay, I'm off of THC or it's just these little things that are legal over the counter. And I'm not going to throw out like what, um, names of different products because I have a dear friend that's invested in one of them heavily yet um things like kratom because it they numb they it's just like an opiate like it's that same family I remember feeling I actually felt okay I feel the sensations of pain in my body but I don't emotionally feel it because I've taken this kratom so I know right now intellectually, I can feel that my body's wanting to actually feel the pain, but my receptors are not willing to feel the pain. So basically, it's just being stored up to be felt later to a greater extent. And that moment when I realized that is like, I'm done with everything. I am going to dance with my father 
and feel all the pain and cry it out as long as I need to. And there's nothing I'm going to take. There's nothing I'm going to do that is going to feed an addiction. And when I say addiction, I mean you do something that feels good and then it has a negative consequence and you can't stop. You just don't even know why you're yearning for it and grabbing it. Yeah. And my goal in this conversation is not to demonize these medicines. That's why I'm okay saying the names because not everyone uses them the way that I was. I have a friend that is a massive expander for me that I look up to that I love so much. And he uses some of these things daily. And it's, I mean, I don't, it doesn't mean that his relationship to it is what my relationship to it was. And um, some, you know, like there, there was a period in my life where if I had not used those medicines and ceremony the way that I did, I don't know that I would have left toxic relationships. I don't know that I would have realized how much trauma there was there. And so totally not demonizing them or saying that they shouldn't be used They're, I mean, I'm, they changed my entire life right now. I'm not called to them. And, um, uh, I think, uh, you know, the reason that I was getting to is that like, I really needed to know that I had the ability to be the medicine myself, to access, access that place within me myself, uh, that our love can be that medicine. And like, there was, I mentioned to you this before, like there, a little bit of, um, I don't know if it was jealousy, uh, but something came up of like, you know, using medicine together is bonding. And like, we've done MDMA with past partners and like, there's such a bond, like there's so much there, uh, that you experience. And it was like, it didn't make me desire to want to do that with you, but there was this feeling of like, oh, we've experienced that with other people. And then I realized like, yeah, that was bonding. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have even stayed in those relationships. So it was like, is that, is it, was there really a bond? Um, and I love that, uh, again, our love can be that medicine because I have, you know, it wasn't six hours long till 2 a.m., but I have access that feeling of like an MDMA light love portal with you um, just through the openness of our hearts. And um, at the same time, I know that in therapy, that type of medicine has saved marriages because it has helped remove walls of fear. Uh, that I do feel uh, your safety that you bring to me has melted in itself. Maybe that's exactly where I was going with it. So <clears throat> it's so tricky. Uh, I remember a deer, I went to a ceremony out in Panama. I was staying in this little yurt and this married couple is from South Africa. Was talking about that they did MDMA and it was very therapeutic for their marriage, um, reconnecting. Beautiful, right? That I had kids together, <clears throat> decades and decades together. I feel that my issue with those type of medicines, especially people in new dynamics, is you're being blasted wide open emotionally and spiritually. And if we're talking about the spirit, I'm talking about all the waves in this particle that are enmeshed and shining right through each other with no hesitation. And a lot of times, you know, most dynamics you're creating stories 
based on wounds uh, that are just bogus and need to be worked through and knocked down. And a lot of times those walls are up for a reason because it's saying uh, alert, you're about to go into the same pattern of being with your father or being with your mother. that's unhealthy that you need to recognize. Now you're just blasting down this wall of energy that's, that's up there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And all your serotonin receptors are completely depleted and you're having every feel good hormone flood your body in a state of ecstasy with another human being. Oh yeah, that's a cool ride. Until you realize that that wasn't the person uh, that was healthy to share that ride with. And some of the most painful breakups that I've ever witnessed and people that just cannot let that other dynamic go and can't move on are those that connected from a place of drugs. You know, we're calling it therapeutic doses. And I remember that being said to me and and I'm thinking like, okay, this is going to be measured out and taken and taken. It's like, no, you know, I, I was raised in the, um, after playing football, especially when I was in military academy, I didn't take recreational drugs, but witnessing the, the rave scene and, um, you know, backpacking all over Europe and all the world, uh, partying pretty hard to, uh, escape my own pain. I know what partying and uh taking drugs to feel good and dance all night and to skate feels like and now we're just calling it ceremony most of the time Mm. it's bullshit and uh some people it helps and probably if you do have a dynamic that you've put time and energy into and you've been to actual therapy and you've done some work on it and you have a a set of tools but a thing that I will say that Paul Check taught me that I just, I heard, but I didn't fully understand until I'd gone deep enough with psychedelics and plant medicines and things like Bufo would come extracted from a frog. But I couldn't hear is like, you have young people that are doing these mind altering, expansive substances that don't know who they are in this world. And even for defining who you are, who's, what values do you have that you live by that ground you into who you are? Do you even know with this physical being how to feed properly, meaning knowing your metabolic type? That means I'm able to look at a raw substance as far as a food and know exactly what my body innately requires to break down as energy, because that's going to give me the highest nutrition and the most energy. Or the only thing I know is to go grab a energy bar. Do I know how to move my body in a healthy way to express primal movements, how my body is designed to move? That's push, pull, bend, squat, all the different movements that require me to function as a high level to get all the fluids going throughout my spine to my brain all the way down to my genitals and the rest of my body. Do I know my circadian rhythms and understand that I need to begin resting and relaxing once the sun goes down and have my head on the pillow by 10 and rise with the sun? Do I know how to breathe and meditate and calm my nervous system? If you don't know how to be human to that level, then what are you going to do when you go off to another dimension of awareness and try to bring back that reality into this being that you don't even know how to take care of in this dimension. 
that's what terrifies me when I see young people in Austin, Texas at these high schools that are living like they're college students and they're, you know, offering DMT, like, Hey, want some toe, bro? Like offering DMT and their camel packs to people underneath the bridge at a rave casually. These things are happening everywhere. And we're at the heart of selling cool here in Austin, Texas with a spiritual influential crowd that most people look up to. Most people don't know how to take responsibility of that level. Of discipline with these medicines. They're not exemplifying and showing how you take care of your own being before you ever step foot in one of those ceremonies and start going to a place that you're never going to understand and you're not able to integrate. Do you know how to hydrate your body and how much is required for every cell in your body to feel stable, to feel center? Hi, yeah, 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 yeah. I know on a rant, it, um, me working with teenagers and their families as long as I have and seeing how, um, the energy of cool is being translated. Um, I especially think about, you know, superior athletes um, in the NFL that are now like Aaron Rodgers. Seems like a wonderful guy. I'd love to sit there and jam and talk to. And I know he has some deep revelations and um, transformations that happen in his life on medicines like ayahuasca and it terrifies me to love a responsibility that we all have to young people looking up. Yeah. Thank you, baby. Yeah. So you know that my sexual trauma happened in my play place. It was hard for me to recover my sense of play. And I really valued uh, the friendships that activated that playful joy. But even with those in my life, my mind often would still go to seriousness. You are the most playful man, which has been so incredibly healing in our home and something I cherish about our love, that it's so playful, um, including in our intimacy, since that was such a deep wound of mine. I know that growing up in military academy was very strict and serious. So can you talk about your relationship to play? Yeah, baby. It's really hard for me to go to the second part without really acknowledging what it is you're speaking of directly. Um, you were sexually assaulted by a family member in a home in a place that you felt safe to play. Mm -hmm. It's really my only play place. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge that part. Not just, I, I felt the need to, to give some context to what you're talking about, what, how much you cherish play and making the home a safe place to play for the children, for anyone's children or anyone that steps foot in this house. That's been my standard for a long time is to be a safe person to be around. I had different mentors that called that out. 
you, you don't know how to, you don't know how to love yourself. And how are you going to give that to other people? So, uh, I mean, play is fundamental. <laughs> I know I mentioned Paul Check a few times. I remember one time he asked me, he's like, what do you do for unbound play? <laughs> that was one of the weirdest things that are asked, been asked of. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, <clears throat> I mean, no attachment to the outcome. And uh, for so long, my identity needs of being seen as enough and being a high achiever it created a person that never did anything, even if it was art. Unless it would be acknowledged, seen, or would propel me and get me somewhere. Uh, I didn't do anything creative that didn't have an attachment to something I wanted to achieve. And... I learned play, like learned the necessity of play, especially through laughter. When I stopped drinking, I think, you know, my, I love you, Tommy, my, my big brother. He, man, he tried every angle to get me to continue drinking because he said his funnest nights on this earth were for me drinking. And uh, yeah, uh, alcohol allowed that part of me to come out that I had um, I reserved and um, didn't allow to come out on a daily. And when I stopped that, I got really serious, especially like getting a doctorate and going through grad school and making a living and making a name for myself, all the things, because I didn't feel like I was enough. And um, my playfulness came back out when everything was forgiven between my dad and I. And it just, because I was able to go back to that child that laughed all the time without having a story about why that kid should have been treated differently so he could continue laughing the rest of his life. When I no longer had a story about the kid, my inner child being treated differently than, uh, yeah, I was able to just be with that kid and that kid's able to, to naturally come out and then we're, we're one. And I started doing this process for any time things got really serious or I got activated or upset or mad at someone or feel like I'm not enough, I would um, feel into what age was that kid and see that they wanted to laugh, they wanted to play, but the story that I had presently was keeping them from being their most organic self, which is laughter and play. And even a, a safe expression of those emotions that they're feeling, I wasn't safely expressing those emotions. Even if it was anger or, or hurt, I was shaming myself for anger. 
And it took me one time, like looking in front of the mirror and saying like, I love you, anger. Like you're welcome here. You have a place here. No longer shame myself for being angry. And I would, I always have my wiser self that's driving this 1950s, uh, 1957 blue, like powder blue Chevy I see us in. And then I'm, my present self's riding shotgun and my younger self is in the middle. And uh, my wiser self and I are just kind of talking back and forth about like, how do we parent ourselves to be riding in the driver's seat? And uh, what kind of hugs and loves that younger self in the middle seat need? And that we're all together. So the past, present, and future is all one. And uh, I'm constantly evolving. And uh, the person that's always evolving in my wiser self always is playing, always is laughing, is always the light in the room uh, that's shining from within and not uh, because I feel like I'm without or that I have to, um, that I'm constantly feeding that light from my inner child. And, uh, yeah, that's been my process. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I, um, I know in our relationship, it feels like we're always laughing. We're often playing, um, I mean, your playfulness has me constantly laughing. So I'm really thankful for that um, transition for you. I, I crave, I crave that the kids feel that in the home, that they, uh, they feel that their childhood is full of play and laughter. And um, that I didn't feel like that came natural for me. Um, I mean, obviously we're born with it and there was a time that it went out. And I remember in a therapy session it's an MDMA assisted therapy session. <laughs> um, I don't know, three years ago, like saying that, like talking about how hard play was for me and um, that I didn't feel like I was a playful partner or a lover in any of my relationships. And so um, I'm thankful to experience that in you and, um, and in our love. Um. I've shared here before on this podcast that the first time we were intimate, that I felt like it was the first time I had ever had sex in my life. Uh, I think a lot of it came from just how present and attuned you are as a lover. We can share more about that connection, about our connection and the way my body responds to you when we share our story. But I know that in order to experience you in this way, you had to have done a lot of work on your sexuality. Can you share how you healed your sexual trauma and became the embodied man that you are in this area of your life? Ooh. Um, Two more questions after that. So, <laughs> yeah. so we can get to our acai ball. Where to begin? Um, you know, my mind immediately goes to um, the safety that is required in partnership if you are working on any wounding that you have with sex, I've done over a hundred interviews and 20 years of 
working with people in the field of psychology and I don't know many people. I mean, it's like maybe a dozen at most where their parents had somewhat of a healthy discussion around sex before they ever had sex. That's not a good percentage, a healthy percentage of people out there that have any type of intimate education as to sharing your power with another. Your sex, your sexual energy, your genitals, your glands have magic power in them. And I had a patient once describe being sexually abused as being that of handing a stick of dynamite to a child. Under the context of someone that knows to do with a stick of dynamite to go blow up a, a, a wall face of rock to build a highway that has intent. They are trained. They're an adult. That's appropriate in that context. You light that fuse and hand it to a child. It's so inappropriate and it has disastrous consequences. That means consequences. There's something that happens and there's a sequence of events from that time to every single time. Therefore, from that point forwards, someone that is raped, sexually abused, victimized, even through words, bullied, molested, trivialized, or discarded after sexual intimacy, aggressively pursued. All of it. Shamed. Oh, the shaming. The shaming is from religious shame to high school shame and the slut shaming. Oh, the trauma. When I say trauma, those are deep wounds. And from that point forwards, if you're not talking about it and you haven't focused on it, and you don't have someone healthy to help you process each one of those events then there is a sequence of events from that point forwards that's likely going to change the trajectory of how you interact with every human being, not just your intimate relationships, every single human being. And that's what happened to me. I mentioned earlier about a notch on my belt. Oh, man. I, you know, going away to military academy at the same time I had this Oh, there was this uh, story that I was the lost cause and the that problem kid that was sent away to military academy. And, you know, like fathers didn't want me to date their daughters. Something must be wrong with them. And uh, people treated me like I was a punk. And it's really amazing about our society is the moment. That's why, like, in our hallway, I have um, a newspaper clipping uh, from one of the first times I was written up, it made my hometown. It says like John's helps Finn state title. And the moment that article came out as a teenager, when we won the state championship, everybody started treating me differently because of what football. Now I'm not that punk kid anymore. Now I can date your daughter. 
now I'm worthy to be treated with kindness, to not be some cautionary tale. So many of us have a connecting sequences of events from when the thing happened. And it's so difficult to accept that something happened. You didn't feel safe. There was love lacking there, which created a disconnect within yourself. And you didn't have an environment that felt safe or loving enough to be able to process that. So it became a wound. We call it trauma. I'm just describing it that way. This is my language. And this followed me from my 20s to early 30s. And it interrupted and created a lot of pain in many intimate relationships. We're always, I was a master at making my partners wrong. And to those people, I'm sorry. I did not know and I could not see it. And some people loved me in spite of. Some people were equally as wounded. Regardless, I have no excuse. The man I am today is my apology for the person that I was. I couldn't see it. And when I finally did, oh, the work. It is work. It is scary. Because I'm not into like just hanging on to the past. If you don't process what happened, what are you going to do? Just be positive all the time? Well, that's lacks authenticity. You have pain behind your eyes, but you're trying to act like there's light. Now, what you're going to do is what I did, which is constantly look outside of you to make sure you feel like enough. Because you feel like something was taken away from you and your light was taken. And that's a story. It wasn't. You're already enough. It takes deep, deep self-reflection. It requires a level of responsibility that most of us never stand up to and embody. When I say responsibility, I mean your ability to respond because most of us are reacting to old wounds as if you just walked by and a branch is brushed up against your wound and you're pointing at your partner going, you did this. Man, they didn't do anything. All they did was expose the wound that was already there and you're making them wrong because you're a master at making them wrong. And so if you can walk around all day and obsess about how they wronged you and you just have this thought that ruminates and you're going to get 10 different friends to prove to you how much of a jerk they are. Oh, there the pattern just rolls on. Show me your friends and I'll show you future. If everyone's agreeing that they're the jerk and you're always right and you just deserve better, yet you still getting in the same type of relationships, maybe there's something to ask. And if some of your friends are just really so, it's so hard for most friends to be patient when they're watching someone who just keeps getting in a car and having the same car wreck on the same highway every single day. And they're bitching about 
all the same exact things every single day. It is so stressful for most relationships. So eventually they get burnout and they tell you the truth and then you're resentful of them. If any of this stuff is coming alive for you, those are all signals. Those are all flags. It's, it's no longer time to just smash out the blinking light that says check engine. Lift up the hood and check your engine. You're doing more than leaking oil. You're burning out. And eventually there's going to be a crash to anyone's nervous system, everybody's relationships that aren't willing to slow down long enough and breathe in and figure out how to give yourself safety and love and connect to your heart and realize I'm going to do whatever it takes to heal these wounds so I can be the change that I want to see in this world instead of expecting everybody else to change for me to be okay with myself. I'm curious if any of you have tried Paleo Valley's Organ Complex. Organ pills are also known as nature's multivitamin. Most people are taking a multivitamin and think that it's making them healthier. However, it's best to get the nutrients your body needs in whole food form. Oregon Complex is one of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet and the richest natural source of so many vitamins that many people are deficient in. Oregon meats are nature's most potent source of B12 and contains vitamin K, choline, vitamin A, and other nutrients that will help your brain thrive. Most of us are tired and supplementing with caffeine, but liver is such a powerful energy booster that researchers have deemed it the organ meat with a potent anti-fatigue factor. It's also a natural hair, skin, and nail booster. And if you know anyone coming off of birth control, this pill replenishes the minerals depleted by birth control pills. For me, it has helped me with my iron issues in the past and has really helped with my period symptoms and my energy levels. I love eating organ meats as a meal with my family, but we can't do that every day. And so I'm really thankful to have the supplement. I take four capsules daily with fat and vitamin C for ultimate absorption. I use uh, Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex with it. You can head over to paleovalley.com forward slash Jade for 15% off your first order. That's P-A-L-E-O V-A-L-L-E-Y.com forward slash Jade. Paleovalley.com forward slash Jade for 15% off your first order. Now on with the show. So I'd love to hear specifically about that ability of yours to be so present and so attuned um, in intimacy in our most vulnerable state, really. Um, it's not something I had experienced before. So I'd love to hear about. Yeah. Earlier when I was talking about sex is your magic. You know, there was never, it was always thing that required reverence when I was a kid and you're supposed to Southern Baptist or to wait till you're married but never explained is like your power. And I had a mentor that really taught me and sort of explained to me about you're sharing your power with another. And it's so, you know, we talk about masculinity. You know, masculinity is really 
out to like, what can I get for me? And femininity is, well, how do we make this a win-win? And so I was always in the role when I started reading these tantric books and doing my Kundalini practices. It was these aha moments where I realized I was always in this. I even am reluctant to say giving. It was more in a performance role uh, because I needed to be seen as enough in the bedroom. And so I was never really present. I was performing. I was acting, if you will. And I feel this happens with so many men, especially, that are acting like a great lover, that are given giving from a deep need and desire for their partner to be <clears throat> to climax, so they're attached to that outcome that means that they're enough as a man not above it um feels great for someone to give you a data boy um especially in the bedroom and uh that's very driven for as i was speaking earlier about someone else's being a part someone else being a part of you feeling like you're enough so you're dependent on their climax, you're dependent on them saying those words, whatever it is, to make you feel like you're enough, for you to feel like you're enough. And when you truly tap into healing that part of yourself that requires the other person to see you as enough, and you start looking at a dynamic as sharing your part, your power within the partnership, that becomes a win-win. And that requires you being present with yourself and clearing all your stuff before you ever expose yourself sexually with another person. Well, that requires a lot of untangling of many relationships that you're dependent on them making up for all your unmet needs not feeling like you're enough. I mean, I wrote letters to former partners uh, acknowledging how I felt short. I meditated for months and months and months on every single individual that I had ever expressed intimacy with and untangled and cut those cords, giving gratitude for what they taught me um, saying I'm sorry uh, at a soul level to acknowledge and maybe I wasn't present with you at all if you felt used by me because I was so disconnected as a man I'm sorry because I knew what that felt like to be used and when I allowed myself to feel what that was like to be used well, hell, I know I'd done it to other people. That's no longer in my agreement. So now that became a part of my values. Treat other people the way I want to be treated. Well, that means I don't just put on porn anymore and tune out 
and just look for an achievement as an orgasm, I'm actually willing. And that's where like the tantric and the Kundalini practices led me is the sensations and channeling my breath and allowing orgasm and sensation and pleasure to be a part of my healing. That's my magnet magic. That's no longer sin. That's not in my agreement to look at it that way, that it's something shameful. This is my body. And if I'm going to share my body, it's going to be someone that is conscious and present and shares their body with me. And I got some healing to do. And so that is how I became present is being present with my own needs because most of us, I, I started realizing oh, in the story. No, it's not that relevant. I started realizing later on in life, I had this like a erotic excitement to maybe being caught or being a little bit in trouble or whatever that is. Well, fuck, that was integrated into my nervous system from always being scared that someone's going to open the door or walk into the clubhouse when the teenager was using me sexually. I had so many of those reactions that came up in life, but that was something that became obvious. It's like, I need to regulate that in my own nervous system. I'm going to say it again. Remember, your nervous system is specific to you as your fingerprint. So only you can discover how to give that love and safety to yourself in sex before you can share your power with another person and not be dependent on them to create that safety for you. Now, if they are safe within themselves, you're going to feel that. If they love themselves, you're going to feel that. And that's what makes the beauty. That's what makes it a win-win. Because once you give that to yourself, you can feel that disconnect from someone a mile away and you're not going to say yes, you're going to say no. That's when your no has value. And my no started having more and more value the more I was in touch with my own pleasure that didn't require another person. Because I've even had a married woman that got a divorce and her husband, this is through mediation, was trying to make an agreement with her. If he bought her this, then she would have sex with him. And it was just a negotiation to basically use each other. Oh, and she said, it would feel like he's masturbating in me. How many of us have had that experience with another? Almost 100% where someone was disconnected, wasn't present. Well, that takes some healing. That takes some healing of that person. They're going to have to acknowledge that that was a part of them that was able to disconnect and use. And you're going to have to be real when you've done it to yourself and you've done it with another person. And when you clear that energy and forgive yourself, I'm talking about a drop of forgiveness for every single one of those circumstances. And oh, the amount of people I probably hurt being disconnected, cold. I can only imagine. And I can only imagine because I know what it felt like when I was aware enough and present enough where I began feeling when that would happen myself, when I felt used by another person myself. And oh, nasty that feeling is. And I made agree with myself that no more, no more would I ever have a one night stand or cheap intimacy or disconnected sex or ever feel used or use another person. And you got to make that a part of your value system. 
of what you say no to in your own life, what you're willing to heal in your own sexual intimacy, and that you are calling in to manifest and attract and magnetize that same energy of values. And when you do, that is when the magic happens. That is when you see someone that's equally as present as you and you can feel it across the room. And baby, you and I felt it the moment we met each other. The moment. We knew that we had said no. And so when we said yes, both of us just lit up. Yes. No hesitation. And it's been like that ever since. The answer at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I want to get uh, deeper into that when we share our story, pun intended. But I just want to acknowledge all of the work that you've done. I know I say thank you all the time in, in different ways, but thank you for thank you for um, for doing that work and and uh, creating that agreement for yourself. Because every morning I wake up, I look at you and I say, "You're welcome, babe." <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you basically wake up and say, where's my thank you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's playfully, arrogantly cocky everyone, um, with an acknowledgement that, that I've called him my equal. This is like my, my woman that, uh, um, man, there's no using here and it's always a win-win and I feel so cared for always. Yeah. I've never once doubted uh, your care for me. Same here, baby. Yeah. Excited to share more later. Um, all right. So we're coming to a close. Ooh. Almost. Depends on you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <then. laughs> so you're incredible at taking responsibility for your triggers and reactions. And you do it so quickly. Um, I have experiences from men in a way of like, they just want the fight to be over. Yeah. So they're doing it. But uh, I can feel that it's like martyrdom almost, you know, uh -huh. like from you, like it's a genuine. <laughs> Let me just shove all this down and be okay. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. It's like that whole, like if mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, like yeah, yeah. martyrdom type feeling from the masculine. Whereas like from you, I can feel, um, like when you take responsibility for your tr triggers and reactions, I can feel that you actually want to do it um, because you want to keep connection between us, not because you just want me to be happy. It's because you want to keep connection. And it, I mean, it, I'm not saying this happens all the time. It's where like, I feel like uh, yeah. you're not constantly in a triggered or reactive state, yeah, but yeah. when it does happen, you are so great at taking responsibility but it's, it's also like you do it so quickly. That's what's yeah also really cool about it. Like it catches me off guard. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, cause it's hard to let go and not be afraid that it's not going to hang out because, um, usually it's usually people see it as an opportunity to punish someone. Yeah. And I, I do trust that, you know, you're never going to be punished by me Yeah, and that you're never in trouble here. Yeah. Um, I think that's most the reaction to most people is that that's the way they were parented. That's the way I was parented. It's either, it's going to be a harsh consequence. That means from that point forward, it's going to be used against you. There's going to be a connecting sequence of events where it's like, oh, man, I'm always going to be like shamed for this. And so that means 
the shame builds up to your identity, right? So you have like this behavior, this thing you do, even if it's organic and it's just, oh, I forgot to do this or I just completely like spaced out and the other person takes it personal. How many times were your parents in that state of interacting with you that they were high stress, unaware, not present and reacted towards you or at you either yelling or physical punishment. And then we have it in us that every single time that happens, uh, this is going to be a connecting sequence of events. And it usually is. It usually is. There's usually just a constant, you're letting me down. And so the consequence is that you're not going to be centered or middle ground or present with each other because it's just constantly building and you feel either nagged at or you feel like you're always wrong or you feel like your partner doesn't care um, and that they're never going to follow through with that thing you requested. So reaction, what you got, baby? I was going to add, because the part that I really want to specifically hear on that I think will be really helpful, um, even to me, I do feel that, you know, I always just want to love you Mm -hmm. and, um, and that we're safe here. I feel that we both feel that. Um, I know that like something like, um, a core, we both know our core wounds and Mm -hmm. like how to care for our inner child. And we can talk about that when we talk about our story, but I know that like, um, for you, like sometimes in the trigger reaction, it was like, you didn't want to feel like you were being controlled. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I want to hear like specifically in your, uh, when you share, like, I really want to hear like, what is the process for you when you feel a trigger and reaction and you move to staying heart open yeah. or to speaking that you're in a, that you had a reaction or whatever it was. And we come back to connection. Like, can you share what that actual process is? Because I think that that's what a lot of us are missing that keeps us from being staying connected and love. Yeah. You got to be living at such a baseline of being centered and how you think and feel about yourself that the moment your adrenaline kicks up or you have some type of emotional response of frustration or anger, that the flood of chemicals that goes through that thought that you probably missed, you know, they didn't do this thing. They don't care. Probably missed that. And it just went straight to a sensation through your body. And instead of feeling that sensation in your body, you're skipping that whole process and just going on the ruminating of how they're wrong to be right. The first is being present enough in your own body where you feel the sensations and flood of emotions that come from whatever thought. And the thought is usually how they're a villain. They've done something wrong. They're out to get you. You probably need to write down your top five stories that you have that activate your system. There's all themes around it they go. And, you know, some of mine's is they, they're trying to screw me over. They don't think I'm enough. There's, there's all these that really feed into that every thought. And what comes with that is an emotion. So I have a baseline, a center of how I meditate when I wake up in the morning to make sure that how I start the day 
my positive energy is coming from within and that it's not fake, that it innately is me. And if I have an emotion that's coming up, I'm owning it in the moment. <laughs> whoa, whoa, what the hell happened? <laughs> Anybody that's listening to this is like gonna think you choked because it's like oh. <laughs> no. I tried to quietly take a drink, and I tried to do it so quietly, but it went down the wrong pipe. Okay. It, it happens. <clears throat> Go on. So Jay forgot how to swallow. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. no, you didn't, babe. Okay, <laughs> PG. Okay, so so the first is have a baseline of yourself because most of us are reacting throughout the day we're the point that we don't even know when it began it's all building up within our system so if you don't know what the sensations feel like because you're always revving on red and you never hit like your smooth sailing cruise control green where everything's running smoothly and that means every time some circumstance comes up that doesn't align with the way that you see they need to be or supposed to be or has to be for you to feel okay with you, then you're going to probably become furious every time because you're always revving on red. You're wound so damn tight. You don't even know how to unwind. So you got to unwind yourself. I think there's a little military term of uh, unfuck yourself. <laughs> I can't stand that term. Oh yeah. Me either. Okay. So, <laughs> but that term is like, Take, for me, I hear take responsibility of yourself and stop making it everyone else's problem. So I see once I'm able to meditate, that just means be present with your breath. Give yourself love through breath. You're connecting through spiritual <laughs> energy through your breath. If oxygen is the spirit, then you can't see it. You just have faith that it's there. And if you have faith enough to sit your ass down on the ground, and I teach 40 deep, deep breaths, nose to belly breaths when I'm with families, because that gives about eight minutes for you to chill out, give enough separation. When I'm doing it with individuals, I do 10 second long inhales and 10 second long exhales, which is going to take only a few minutes, but it resets your nervous system so you can at least have a baseline to respond. That gives you the ability to respond. That is your responsibility. I love a play on words so you remember why you're doing it. That is your responsibility as an adult, as a sovereign being, is to feel what's going on in your own body and stop making everybody else's problems. It's too easy to make everyone wrong around you because we're human and we're going to do stuff that annoys each other. I mean, just the other day, what was it? We were talking over which toy should go Where in the we kids' room. The slime. We were going to put the slime, the kids' slime, in either the playroom or in the garage. And I had this whole perspective that, hey, we need to take it outside so it doesn't get on the carpet. Your thing is, oh, they're kids, but it's okay. They can do it on their little play desk or whatever. And I reacted and I just tossed it down. That moment where I saw the reaction in you of me not normally just tossing things down and not getting short with you is like, Okay, that is an opportunity for me to grow and take responsibility for what I just did. I didn't like the way the conversation goes. I didn't get my way. I felt it turned into a win for me instead of actual win, a win. And Jordan Peterson says, he's like, man, every single thing in your house, I don't care where the pencils go to the utensils, needs to be discussed 
and agreed upon as a negotiation because you both are sovereign people that are coming together that have equal value, that need to be heard equally and agree upon every little thing. And if you're not willing to do that, then what? You're probably dominating someone else. This is me. This is my perspective when it came and I realized how I had, when I had my Kundalini awakening, if you will, that I don't speak about very open, very often, but this was it. I was out in the woods alone with myself. I've been living there for months. I was meditating, creating programs, and I gotten so deep into these Kundalini practices and unearthing all the unresolved pain that was like stored up in my tissues and my cells. And when that stuff started coming out, I realized how I had emotionally and intellectually dominated people throughout my entire life. When someone tells you yes, and you don't like their yes, and you want it to be a no, and you talk them out of their yes, you've intellectually dominated. When, they, when someone tells you no, and you want the, their no to be a yes, and I have some type of emotional reaction, either big or, well, oh, oh, Jade's like rubbed my leg, and I didn't know if that was like, shut up. Okay. <laughs> so if you have an emotional reaction, Maybe I need to slow this down to get this point Re really like let it hit home the way it did me. When you have an emotional reaction to someone's yes or no, to get with the intent for them to change their answer, you're emotionally dominating that person. Someone needs to have the freedom to tell you, no, I don't like that. No, I don't want that. And you say, you know what? Okay. Not that that's okay with me, but I'm not going to try to talk you out of it right now. And I'm definitely not going to storm off and have some emotional reaction, all with the intent for you to change your answer because I emotionally reacted or I intellectually told you how your no should be a yes. Because that's likely not the conversation you're having. They're just expressing what they want. You say, cool, this is what I want. I'm having a bit of a reaction about it. I probably need to back away, see your perspective. And then we go back to the negotiation and just see, hey, is there any way that this is a win? Because your no is a win for you. And I feel like your no would be a loss for me. Is there any way we can find a win-win here? And if there's not, and you're wanting them to change their answer just so you feel better, then they're going to feel dominated. You've dominated them. Now you think that's the only way. And now in your relationship where each person's just trying to get one up each other. And it's not like no one wins. You got to look at life as a win-win. That is the true essence of femininity. Masculinity looks like to just try to achieve and make someone wrong and dominate another. And I lived in that world for a long time. So every time that you feel the flood of emotions come up and you feel yourself obsessing, ruminating about how to make them wrong you're in an argument you're reacting and you need to plant your ass on the ground and do your 40 nose to belly breaths you need to slow down your nervous system you got to recenter you got to get connected and make yourself feel safe where you are and that is when you feel yourself that is the essence of love when you feel what's going on in your body and you slow down enough to feel what's going on in your human experience, because that's what you're meant to do, you're not meant to just feel something and just ignore it and go on and achieve something or just go about your job or just start obsessively cleaning everything so you don't think about it or you only use that time 
to ruminate on how <laughs> stupid, wrong, how you've been wronged. I know I keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. It's because it's that paramount in your life to feel it, find your center, own your reactions. And every single time you catch that reaction, you see as an opportunity. And every single time when Jade's asking me, I'm not supposed to call you by your name. When my sweet, <laughs> sweet, loving partner asked me like how I respond so lovingly so quickly or get over it so quickly is because I'm seeing every single time I react as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to teach me something and for us to grow stronger. If you don't believe in your heart that you have the ability to govern your own emotions, slow down your own thoughts, then things are going to feel hopeless. Once you give yourself that power, then anything feels possible because now things aren't happening to me. They're happening for me. That's when the transition happens. Then you can slow things down enough to say, oh, okay, I know how to give myself safety. I know how to give myself love. Oh my goodness. I was, yeah, I was really reacting. I, the why doesn't even really matter, but I can sit there and hold my partner's hand and come back later and she can feel how soft and tender I am right now and how I'm willing to slow things down and I can take responsibility for how strongly I reacted. Even if I thought her no was really stupid. <laughs> I could say that in a loving way and say, baby, I accept your no. Still, will you give me the opportunity to, to respond in a loving way and reset? Are we ready for that? And that's a huge reason why every single week we have a team meeting for 90 minutes. Is because we don't have stuff going on in the background that's unresolved. You got to clear all this stuff in the background that's unresolved. Because if you have unforgiveness with your mom or your dad, it's inevitably coming out in your partnership. How could it not? They taught you how to be human. And now you got to reparent yourself. And if you aren't, that's why the biggest thing that I hear in most couples and relationships are terrified to say, like, she's becoming your mother. He's becoming his father. And that's why it's the biggest reaction when they, someone hears that. It's because they're terrified of being what they hate. And you've manifested that because you're unwilling to see it within yourself. Just like I was. So we'll talk about team meetings when we, when we do uh, our story. Cause I, I, you touched on that for a second and I, um, I feel like those, uh, uh, I feel like that's a huge part of why we are able to resolve conflict quicker is because like we don't have so much buildup because we do have a clearing space for them. Um, so that does feel really important to bring up when we share our story. Um, and what's I going to say about the, uh, um, Maybe it'll come back to me. Um, oh, win-win. So Stan Tatkin, uh, his episode will air in a couple of episodes from now. But he talks about that, the win-win. How in every situation, it needs to be win-win, never win-lose. Because if it's win-lose, there's a loser. There's someone feeling like a loser. You're with a loser, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and I do feel that... Um, I do feel that in every situation with you, we have figured out when, when, and it's been really lovely because yeah. I have felt like the loser in, in plenty of relationships. And uh, mm -hmm. 
that that was the only option. I'm going to try to sum that up as quickly as I can, which I think is something we can speak on much deeper later. But unless that's your intimate agreement, I'm talking about being fully aware, like, hey, this is the relationship role I, I, I am agreeing to. No one respects someone that they can dominate and no one respects someone that they're being dominated by. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain dynamics especially sexual that like that's the agreement and that's the connection that they make because one person wants to feel that vulnerable and I want to be dominated nine times out of 10, that's never been agreed upon. It's just something that's playing out from deep wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So last question before the lightning round. Um, Wait, we're still on lightning round tonight. I love you. I'll explain. Okay. Just okay. Answer this last question. I'll shut up. Tell people about what you're creating. You have a gift for seeing ways families and teams can be in more unity. I've seen it just in, um, I mean, as soon as you became a part of this home, uh, I saw your gift for that and how much unity you brought here. Um, and I mean, I said it earlier, but so many people have mentioned the effect you've had on the kids. And I think it's, it's your gift, bringing unity into families and into teams and making everyone feel that they belong. Um, so share about, about that, what you're creating and how people can, uh, access that. Yeah. I had a lot of amazing mentorship growing up. I still do. And Oh, the word integrity, like the men in my life that, and the, and the partners they chose and the wives by their side. And it was really amazing to me that most of my mentors, you know, had three or four daughters. Coach Sullivan has uh, three daughters. Uh, Coach Bobby Cobb has uh, two. Uh, Ty Detmer has four um, there's something very powerful that I've witnessed in men, especially that have daughters that take on that role. They're usually always coaches that have this, it softens them and it brings a real presence to them, um, that I was able to learn from being a high school coach, um, for over a decade and I had a real reluctance and fear and working with women on a clinical level. And that was one of my greatest gifts to really balance me out, uh, especially working with mothers. So I was given a lot of freedom um, when I was working at the high school and working with parents. I started finding a lot of uh, single households and mothers that are struggling on their own to reach their teenager and needed that me starting out as a mediator. I I saw that as an opportunity to work deeply and see what they needed um, in the home. And then some of the fathers that recognized, you know what, my kid has just turned a deaf ear and they, the father might have had such brilliant wisdom to instill in their teenager, but they just had a, oh, the disconnect. And that's why I've seen myself as the parent advocate 
and the team coach is because the parents that are humble enough, when I say humility, I'm talking about recognizing and willing to say like, Judd, yeah, I got more to learn. And um, you say like, great, that's a great place to start because they're likely displaying a lot of parts um, of yourself that you don't want to see that activate and trigger you. And you want me just to work with a teenager and heal that. And I used to do that. And pretty soon, like the kid is going to have like more emotional intelligence than their parent. And they're going to be like recognizing now we're having a conversation uh, about how, about the parents' wounds that they're healing and the parents unwilling to see them. And that is, that is where uh, my program Family Unity came from is working with enough families and enough parents that were willing to say like, you reach my teenager and I can talk to you. And so will you just be transparent with me about what's going on? And I start seeing these patterns that it didn't matter if I was working with the poorest family on the east side of Austin or I was working with the wealthiest parent uh, in town in Austin, Texas. There was these themes and patterns of how to bridge the gaps between teenager and parent talking about judgments, consequences, lies, projections, and actually having a fully aware and transparent conversation about what all those mean to each other. And that's where I developed the team meeting. And that's where I started coming up with my top 10 list of how to uh, organize the team meeting. And so, you know, after decades of doing this stuff, it's like I needed to have some type of like format workbook meditation, I started thinking of every different angle that I could have where it would reach every single individual in the family. And so I created meditation programs where you have to slow down and breathe. And then I gave a concept of the day. And then I applied this, this uh, method called see, need, feel at the end of every, every um, meditation. So the guided 20 minutes isn't excruciating. You're actually being walked through something every single day. Well, not everybody's going to be into that form of teaching. Sometimes usually just the moms do the meditation. Well, okay. So if I have a 10 week program, I'm going to sit there and like, okay, let me create a video with these concepts and tell stories. I'm a storyteller. So I'm going to create stories of how I applied this or how some famous athlete applied this or a mentor that was famous. And that's, there's a huge part of that that grabs this where people, I'm not just talking about concepts. It's people like George Foreman. It's people like Ty Detmer. It's people that were big names in my life that took the time to teach me things that I'm using stories from those relationships that you can really see. Well, like, oh, those people that live at a high level, a high vibration, a high vitality. Well, this dude's not just talking concepts. I embody everything I teach. So if I can't give you a story or explain it to my own 12-year-old self, then I'm just full of shit. And so... I create a program that I'm real and transparent as possible. And the first program is family unity and that's for the parents. And I'm simulating each week the team meeting. So it's not this vast concept where it's like, Hey, I'm just throwing you to the wolves. We already had this disgruntled and like 
rough and like antagonistic relationship with your teenager and you're trying to smooth things out, but I'm just going to give you a program. I actually have seen all the hiccups and I've been there firsthand of all the struggles. And so I get to create this process where we're all flowing to eventually I'm going to give you the aha moment. It's going to end with forgiveness, absolute forgiveness in the household for everything that was done, said, and giving you the opportunity to have the tools and the skill set to face all the stuff that's created a disconnect between you and your teenager. And right now I am full blown creating a program called Sovereignty for the teenagers themselves. But what's the point of me giving this teenager a program if the parents haven't gone through family unity? It's very brave of me and bold to come up with these steps as a solution. But if I don't believe it myself, you're not going to believe it. And if I do not teach this adamantly with confidence, as I know it is going to make a difference worldwide in families' lives because this is what creates community. It's your common unity that you all accept. We need transformation. We had old faulty program that needs to be reconditioned. If the parents are unwilling to humble themselves to that level and say, I have more to learn, and there's nothing I can teach you. And I've been humbled constantly and I'm continuing. And that's my humble pie every day. Is say like every single parent that takes this program is going to give me something that's going to teach me something. And then we grow stronger together. I'm going to learn something equally as much as you are. And we're going to grow together. And that's going to create a community of families that are all speaking the same language about these concepts that create disconnect within the home. So that's what I'm creating now. So very soon, likely when this is released or uh, soon thereafter, uh, all my meditation programs and family unit will be uh, available and sovereignty is going to be coming out soon. It's a 10-week program for um, teenagers, individuals, young adults, really everybody, but that's uh, I really had it with that um, hurt teenager and all of us that just needs to feel like they have a guide. I remember... Uh, hearing that from a lot of parents, like no one gives us a guidebook to life. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to create that. And that's what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really thankful. Um, I mean, it it does feel like a, a natural gift to you. I'm, I'm really thankful to have you here to navigate so much of everything that goes into making a house a home. Um, in dealing with big emotions with two little ones, um, it's, you're such an answered prayer. So thank you. Thank you. So I end every show with three lightning round questions, just about one, one, one sentence. One sentence. Yeah. So if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? You belong. If you could have the whole world read one book, what would it be? Tuesday was boring. Mm, it's one of my favorites. Um, I read that when I was backpacking 
Southeast Asia, you know, they sell like the little <clears throat> fake copies on the side of the street all over Asia. And I, I got that. And then I quickly after um, got uh, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, his other book. Um, those are two of my favorites. Um, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Be love. Lastly, how can people connect with you? Tell us your website, your Instagram. drjudd.com. That is my uh, website and Instagram handle is drjudd. Dr. Judd. Mm-hmm. Thanks, baby. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time. I'm grateful everyone's time out there as well, and especially here all. All the stuff, my rants, everything I have to say, um, I'm humbled by your willingness and uh, reach out anytime, um, anything you need, and I will take it into deep consideration how I'm able to help. Thanks, baby. Thanks for being my hundredth guest. Thank you for inviting me on. Mm -hmm. Love you. Love you. All right, you guys, I know that was a very meaty two-part series. Um, I know my episodes tend to be usually typically around an hour, so I'm really thankful that you stuck with us throughout this. Um, I, like I said, I've just done so much research on this man, and uh, there's so much of him that I wanted to share because I just, like I said in the intro, um, I truly feel that if every child had a father or mentor like this man. And if every woman had a partner like this man, the world would be a wildly better place. Um, We have lived together for a few months now, uh, a handful of months with children and we work from home. So we are around each other every second of every day and every day. I am inspired to up-level in multiple areas of my life just by watching him, by what he embodies, by how he lives, um, by his integrity. And I always dreamed of being able to say that about my partner. I always dreamed of being able to talk about my partner in this way, to talk about how kind he is, how integral he is. And I'm, I'm so thankful. So thank you for hearing all of this and um, hearing hearing the why behind all of that, the why behind how my smile has gotten so much bigger this year. Mm, I'm excited for the next uh, part of this series where we share our story. It, uh, I mean, I tear up just thinking about sharing that. What a what a gift it is for me. And I know it's going to be a gift to others to know what's available for us in love uh, when we learn our no and we hold out for our yes. And um, when we heal, when we choose to heal and call in our, our match, our equal. So, so excited to share that in part three of this series. I will end by thanking my affiliates as always. Uh, like my partner said, you can go to drjud.com to see anything, um, to sign up for anything of his. You can go to his Instagram and message him if you'd rather go about that way. 
My site is jade-bryce.com. You can sign up for my newsletter there, see whatever masterclass I'm offering, sign up for me with coaching. Um, You can always sign up with both of us if you'd prefer that. And then paleovalley.com forward slash jade is, man, you guys, I, I talked about this in the, in the ad that aired for this episode, but my hair has benefited so much from Paleo Valley's bone broth. This is not like something they told me to say, like this is truly my hair has benefited so much and I'm so excited about it. My skin as well. Um, I have also noticed a difference in in, uh, my muscle uh, definition through using it um, as well because of the protein content. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful for it. I also love their meat sticks. They are truly juicy. They're not like dried beef jerky. They're juicy meat sticks, which is exciting. They also have incredible superfood bars. I love all of their products. I also take their beef organ pills, which has made a huge difference in my hormones, my hormonal cycles. Yeah. Uh, you'll get a discount at paleovalley.com forward slash Jade. They don't have a code. You just need to put forward slash Jade in the, um, in the, uh, website name and, uh, in the show notes, all of these links will be there underneath that link. There's a link for cock worship, something that, uh, I'm really excited to promote. And I'm going to have the creator of that on very soon. And then under that, there's a link for gene keys. Gene keys is like a internal GPS system. It's kind of like human design. Um, but different in its own way. Really beautiful. I had the a creator of that on the website, uh, on the podcast. His name's Richard Rudd. Love him so much. Uh, if you go to the show notes and you click on that link, it's going to take you to their dream course, which is all about how to understand your dreams. But if you use that link uh, and go to anything else, whether it's like his course on love or his course on um, abundance, whatever, prosperity, this show will get a small cut. So it's a way you can uh, support this show. Underneath that is a link for uh, the pleasure wands and the yoni eggs that I um, love to tell people about. I am creating a course on how to use a jade egg for pelvic strengthening, pelvic toning. It even tones your face. There's so many wonderful things about it. And they make great altar items as well. Great Christmas gifts. Code Jade gets you a discount there. And that's wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And then all things infrared at higherdose.com. Code Jade75 gets you $75 off. Thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you'd leave a review. I would love to hear your feedback on this episode specifically. And so would my partner. So uh, reach out to us or or leave a review. Uh, Share the episode if you feel inspired. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.